नौ सेकंड Welcome to Behind the Headlines on the Salt Radio Network. I'm Neil Bradley. With me, as always, Mr. Joe Quinn. Hi there. We've also got Harrison Keeley. Hello. And Alan Martin. Hi, everyone. Okay, so this week on Behind the Headlines, we're going to be looking back at the week that was another crazy week on this big blue marble. Um, the main topic we're going to start with is something that arguably didn't get the most traction this week, but probably should have. It was the speech by Vladimir Putin in Moscow and uh, showcasing, I suppose, or showing off of some super new high-tech weapons that Russia has, some of which, you know, were already publicly known, or at least to some extent. Others are new, um, it's an important thing. We're, we're going to try and we'll, we'll we'll have to discuss why it's important because it's not exactly obvious. I mean, we're obviously not military specialists, but even people who do get on the news presenting themselves as some kind of military expert probably are also missing the crux of the matter. First of all, it's unusual. I think you'll all agree that Putin would kind of grandstand or boast where it was unmerited or there wasn't some deeper point he was trying to make, you know. On on another day, on another event, we, we might just put this right. shell of this and say, yeah, so politician X says blah. Politicians say blah all the time. But it doesn't necessarily mean anything. Right. It usually doesn't mean anything. Um, Vladimir Putin was very careful with his words. Um, and when he does go off freely and speak, you know, off the cuff to people in his, like, marathon sessions, like, at the end of the year in Russia, or even when he's speaking to the press, you know, sometimes his press statements are boring, but often they're very on point, and uh, mm -hmm. kind of letting you know more than you expected, he's kind of, like, letting you in on some little secrets. Um, in this case, though, yeah, like I said, the, the war, he partly reveals some things that were previously unknown. Um, yeah, I mean, Russia doesn't... Uh, Russia, obviously, Russia has a, has a history. I mean, a relatively recent history in, under, under Putin in the last, you know, 15 years, let's say, 15 or 20 years. Uh, but even more recently, even, short, even a shorter time than that since they really kind of started... Uh, uh, have an impact on the on the world stage. Maybe you could go back to 2007, really, the past 10 years, let's say. Um, and in that time, they have, under Putin and over, well, mainly under Putin, they um, 
they have not deliberately uh, not grandstanded, not boasted, uh, you know, not tried to, not attempted not to, or tried not to rattle any cages or rile anybody. You know, even in their diplomacy and all that kind of stuff, it was all uh, nice words. And I mean, long beyond the time, long past the time when uh, Russia should have been calling um, <clears throat> America all sorts of names, uh, Putin was still referring them to our American partner uh, as their our American partners. Uh, so that that that's the kind of tone that Russia has taken, obviously, uh, in the time that we have known it, and in the in the 21st century. And um, so, yeah, him coming out and saying this, but even even the way he said it, you know, it was very much still in that in that same mold, you know, of not grandstanding, not uh, not rubbing anybody's nose in it type of thing. He just basically the the impression for me anyway was that it had got. Uh, beyond the point where even the the famous at this point Russian tolerance and patience was being tested, but even then it was just a little, you know. Listen, enough of this crap. Uh, and here's something. Here's why you should cut this crap out. And I'm sure the Russians aren't, aren't smart enough, or aren't stupid enough, or know know the Americans enough to realize that you know this may not have may not change anything at all. You know. Um, because you know they they know who they're dealing with basically, and they'll either like as the Western press has kind of the, the approach they've taken is uh, why well, you know, maybe he's bluffing, you know, maybe he's just or, or he's threatening the world. It's more Russian belligerence, blah blah blah. But you know, not necessarily taking him at his word type of thing and playing it down. You know, and business as usual in the Pentagon, basically at least officially. Um, I mean, for a long time, like we've said on previous shows, America, while they Thought used to think it was a good idea to speak softly and carry a big stick. In recent years, because of Russia, they've tended to uh, speak very loudly and brashly uh, because their stick was getting smaller and smaller. Whereas Russia followed that rule of speaking softly while they were building a big stick. Speak softly while you build a big stick. Then when you have big big stick, continue to speak softly. America tends to be like, uh, just shout all the time, you know, in one way or another. So yeah, but it, it does. It is a, a marker to that ex- to that extent. You know that uh, that, yeah. that Putin felt that, uh, or the Russians felt that they needed to come out and issue this warning. You know, but it also fits. It also fits in the context of uh, of Russian kind of marketing effectively for its military prowess. Because it's one thing for the Russians to be building up their their military uh, over the past number of years as a way to basically, you know. Aim for a more a unipolar or a, a more multipolar world, and to not be under America's thumb so much. But they also uh, want to help other countries attain some level of uh, independence from the American Empire as well. And they do that by, as we've seen, offering uh, weapons, primarily defensive weapons like the S three hundred, S four hundred, to different uh, countries, uh, strategically important countries. Let's say, uh, most recently. Um, well, there was Turkey and then Iraq, I think, more recently. Mm-hmm. So, Syria, of course. Of course, Syria, yeah. Possibly Egypt and so on. But yeah. So they want to not only help those countries to become some independence, which can only work in America's favor because if those countries become more independent, well, they're in, they're in Russia's backyard. Uh, so they're, you know, it opens up markets effectively by giving those uh, countries uh, an ability to defend themselves and you know wean themselves off or come come out from under the 
the influence of, of America, uh, but it also makes Russian the Russian uh, weapons industry some money. Um, I mean, America is, or Russia is in the business of, uh, like, like everybody else who produces uh, weapons, is in the, in, the, in the business of selling them and making money from them. So in that sense, this announcement of all these new fancy gadgets and crazy missiles and stuff fits into that uh, or, or is in that context yeah. of Russia is not only a power or a force to be reckoned with, but it also has some interesting toys that maybe people, you know, it brings attention to the Russian military uh, production and, um, and also increases Russia's stock in the world as someone who can act as a protector for those countries that might feel like they want to uh, become more independent, like I was saying, from, from America. That uh, most countries up until now have not wanted to do that because, well, if you kind of piss America off by walking away and saying, screw you, we don't want to be your friend anymore, well then, you're kind of out there, you're exposed, you know. Who's going to protect you, you know, from, from America? So I suppose in that sense, it was all, it's, all, it's also beneficial for, for Russia to project that image of, well, we can protect you, you know. And we can, not only can we provide you with like anti-missile systems and all that kind of stuff, but we can also tell the global bully, the, uh, the empire, to back down. We can put them, to some extent, put their, they hope, in their place, or at least create the impression that Russia can push back and push back effectively against American, you know, uh, the American juggernaut, basically, that rolled around the world. In giving this, well, this warning... Um, now the Western media is basically running it as Vladimir threatens the U.S. or the West, right. and they would. That's understandable, even. Um, but the actual speech, I think it was something like two hours long. It's a State of the Union speech, so it's interesting watching the Russian one compared to the American one. <laughs> you don't have the Republicans standing up every fifty seconds; they just congratulated, you know, stood up and applauded at the end. Um, so it's a State of the Union. Here, here are things. Here's how much of this we sold this year, and blah, 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 education, agriculture. And then the second half was devoted to military tech, and that's where he brought these surprises. Um, the he also had uh, – he invited 700 uh, members of the press, mostly international. So uh, some commentators thought that this was also designed to – you know, it was a state of the union – uh, it was also his kind of pre-election uh, address, but it was also uh, a kind of a address to the world, um, which was evident by the, the numbers of uh, the sheer numbers of press that they had mm -hmm. in attendance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, what I was going to say was the segment of the speech devoted to uh, announcing th these technologies had the same preamble he's given many times before in speeches and ad lib in press conferences, which is that the way they see it, the U.S. withdrew from the Anti-Ballistic Missile Treaty in 2002. Now, you wouldn't otherwise have heard of it. That kind of passed unnoticed. Like, uh, you can understand why the U.S. would not have drawn attention to it. Uh, it's... It's just a piece of paper. You know, times move on, things mm -hmm. change. But the Russians, obviously Vladimir Putin was president by then, went, hang on a second, that's that's basically the framework agreement since the detente of the 70s that has 
secured a strategic balance of power in the world. If you if you withdraw from that, you're basically saying we reserve the right to build as many weapons as possible. You see, for decades, the principle had been that they would have some degree of openness and have a commensurate capability. Now, in, in fact, the U.S. had overwhelming firepower throughout the duration of the Cold War, but the Russians had enough of a deterrent. That's the key point. In, when you're thinking of strategy, a deterrent is something that will be a bottom line um, defensive capability of the junior party in this mm-hmm. sort of equilibrium to defend itself. But effectively, the U.S. was announcing that it was going to go above and beyond that. And the, the Russians had, in a way, announced through the 1990s to the collapse of the Soviet Union, the collapse of its defense systems, of its military, of its investment in its military, that it was going the other way. So, in a sense, the U.S. symbolically, really, in 2002, just announced the new reality on the ground. Well, we have no – there's no one who can stop us now. There's no one to have a anti-ballistic missile treaty with. Yeah. <laughs> or that we would – feel it necessary to have a kind of balance of power with. I mean, you only have a, that kind of a treaty when you realize that there's peer or near-peer competitors. Yeah. But America decided that in 2002, yeah, there was none. But or, or at least they decided that it would be a very bad idea if everyone, I'm sure they were thinking that it would be a, be a bad idea for them or it would be bad for them if, 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 a, if a peer mm-hmm. a competitor arose. Therefore, let's get rid of the ICBM treaty and let's open it up to do what they've done basically over the past 15 years, which is which is what Putin actually uh, mentioned in this in the speech where he was talking about these weapons, which was that NATO has been, i.e. the US, has been surrounding, increasingly surrounding Russia with uh, missile batteries basically, with, with, with missile silos and, and you know, um, and it got just to the point where it was enough. Like, I mean, you're, you're going to surround our entire country with missiles pointed at our country. What do you expect us to do? Well, we're going to push back in some way. I mean, I mean, well, the, the specific point was that, okay, you're ringing us here with all these systems, and they're not all fixed. He's pointed out many of them are, of course, on battleships, which can be positioned anywhere close to our territory as well. Right. But his specific beef with it was, you, you've effectively rendered the deterrent we had inherited, what we had left from the USSR days, mm-hmm. you've rendered it useless. Right. And he told them from 2002 onwards... And then has spoken about it. In other words, he shared, he divulged it to anyone who would listen mm-hmm. in, like I said, in informal conversation and informal speeches. The same story over and over, which he just actually just repeated in this most recent speech. There was mm-hmm. nothing new there. He said, he said that he told them that when they told him they were withdrawing 2002, he told George Bush and his people, you, you don't understand, you got to understand, he didn't say you don't understand, he said, you must understand now that you're giving me slash the Russian state, no choice but to respond in kind. We must build something commensurate or something new well, to, to be able to counter this. Right, and it's very, it's very And the Americans said, sure, this is how Putin relays. He said, they said, totally, we understand because we understand how these, this, the principles of this work. We wouldn't expect you to do otherwise. There was no antagonism about it. They right. didn't receive what he said as a threat. Right. Of, of course, Mr. Putin, we would expect you to do so. Right, to defend your country. But he suspects that in their minds, they were uh, thinking, no chance. All right, well, good luck. But, you know, <laughs> there's you no, we're not in foreseeable history. Is this ever going to happen? Right. And that's why he was sort of, it could be cast as jingoistic, as proud, 
with this recent announcement because he's announcing, well, you wouldn't listen to it. I told you this was going to happen and probably sooner than you thought. And now it's happened. Yeah. What, and what has happened? Well, well they, they have systems that can, can beat any given U.S. system. So that includes defense of the United States proper, the homeland. The right. Russians are saying, you see, you might have the scale, you might have all the aircraft carriers, you've got the, the global juggernaut, and you've got these satellite, um, obviously satellite tech too, but you've got these uh, missile batteries positioned in Poland, Romania, Turkey, um, not sure where else in South Asia, but obviously in East Asia as well, you've got all these Japan, carrier ships. Japan, North Korea. Japan, North Korea. Or South Korea. But the Russians are saying now to them, those are great, but we now have sufficient capability to knock or to get past, not no. to knock them all out, to get past no, no, any one of them. That's not what he's talking about. I don't think that's specifically what he's talking about. Specifically what he's talking about is that, like you said, in the past, and I'm using the, the Trump uh, uh, hand, hand signal yeah. here, which you'll all eventually see. Uh, it's kind of like an okay signal that you use whenever you want to make a point. Um, anyway, um, in the past, it was basically ICBMs, more or less stationed. You had the whole Cuba thing and, yeah. and that kind of stuff, uh, Cuban missile crisis, and it was and that was a big problem because uh, the point was ICBMs, as in i.e. nukes, intercontinental ballistic missiles with nuclear tipped uh, missiles in the U.S. on U.S. territory, let's say, and in Russia on the Soviet Union on their territory. They're far enough apart that when, if they were ever fired at each other, there would be a good chance that you would have fair warning, a lot of warning, seeing them being fired, and you'd have a chance to shoot them down. And the technology was, you know, that's what they were working on, basically, in terms of the arms race and making sure they could shoot them down. And they were happy enough that, you know, that was a detente in that sense or, or a mutually assured destruction kind of situation. But that's what America has been working to destroy. And the problem is that has been nullified, as you were saying, Putin said, by the fact that America has put all of these missile bases or missile silos or whatever right up on board, on Russia's borders, like from basically Eastern Europe to uh, to East Asia, which means that they no longer have that time frame to detect an incoming missile. It's right on the border, literally like one kilometer from the Russian border. I mean, you could lob it over basically and no one's going to stop it, no Russian anti-defense uh, systems are going to have time to stop it, and that's the problem. So, the problem is that Russia, and you know, it wasn't just that they had these missiles around in different um, countries on on Russia's border, but they also had, you said, like um, the 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 naval aspect in terms of uh, ship-fired missiles and submarine-fired missiles, etc., uh, which more or less are the same thing. You can put it right on a country's coast. Um, now, Russia has that in terms of submarines, but it needed more because the. There was a lot more, uh, the U.S. had a lot more capability in that respect because it's basically a global empire. So Russia had to come up with something that would give them the same, would re-establish the, the kind of, uh, the mad thing, the mutually assured uh -huh. destruction thing, i.e. Mm -hmm. where Russia would be able to launch a no-warning effective. That's what America has been trying to do for the past time. Is right. Get the capability of being able to launch a no-warning attack, no-warning nuclear attack on Russia. And it has achieved that. And Russia has been realized that quite a long time ago and has been working to develop these weapons that effectively do the same thing. It's not, they're not building aircraft carriers that they can station off the coasts or near America or whatever, or 
they're or they're not getting territory, for example, in in Cuba or in the, in the in the in the Caribbean or in Mexico or something, they can't get that. So the next best thing is to find develop new technology that would do the same thing, and that's more or less what he laid out in this presentation. In the second half of this presentation, he laid out a new type of weaponry that effectively does the same thing, where we can fire a missile from over here, from over from Russia, uh, but unlike previous technology. You won't be able to stop this one, even with your defences, even with even your, if you see it, even if you, yeah, even 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 with your your uh, land-based, as in U.S.-based uh, defences, uh, radars, <clears throat> etc., and, and also your ship-based uh, defences, like because they have these the various uh, uh, you know uh, aircraft carriers and, and, and frigates and stuff that have that Aegis and you know missile defence system and stuff on it that has radar and would in theory be able to, for example, be uh, you know, kind of a bunch of U.S. ships in the mid-Atlantic, you know, or off the co- in the Atlantic off the coast of Europe, would be watching for launches of Russian missiles and would be able to shoot them down, in theory, mm-hmm. or at least detect them uh, and then do something about them. So Russia said, "But well, we have to come up with something that you can detect all you want, but you're not going to be able to stop it." Mm-hmm. And that's more or less what he laid out. And it's pretty, you know, I mean. And it seemed like he he, he, was, he seemed pretty pretty sure, pretty convinced that uh, that he you know enough to say to them we're not bluffing here. And you can check it yourself, you know. And he seemed to be suggesting that the Americans would have the ability to check what he was saying, and at least they would have be there would be an, there would be an enough doubt to not be able to just dismiss it as as bluff. Like he said, we're not bluffing. Check it yourself. So we, that assumes that the Pentagon analysts would be able to say, yeah, well, actually, what they're saying is feasible and possible. Uh, we didn't think maybe that they had that capability yet, but if he says they do, we have no reason to believe that he doesn't, you know, or at least that it's in production. Uh, one of them being uh, the the kind of one that really, I suppose, stood out was the, well, there was a couple of them, but the one was the, that stood out was the the nuclear-powered missile. Mm-hmm. That, has, that can go fly forever. That can almost, kind of almost forever fly indefinitely and just fly around and find a, find a weak spot. You know, it can it can go down like the way they had it in the in the in the graphics was it was going you know out over the Atlantic and then it meets uh, uh, it, it gets pinged by a radar detects that has been well been, it, it detects a yeah. radar zone and just flies above right. or around it. It detects yeah it goes down below it and if there's further stuff further south or whatever they had it going round uh, the bottom of of South of, of South America and then up into the Pacific. And then maybe there'll be more, you know, detective detection uh, ships there, you know, ra- with radar and stuff. And it would just kind of avoid those. And then it would, like, maybe go up over the North Pole and come down over Canada or something like that, you know. Well, that it would just keep probing the barrier, the, the, the perimeter of the U.S. until it found a way in. It sounds like artificial intelligence. Um, Partially. I mean, it's, it's automatically reprogramming in flight. No one back in Russia is doing that. Well, via satellites. Well, I don't know if it's artificial intelligence in the sense that if you just give, like via, even via kind of GPS, you say, this is your destination. But you program into it that if you are, de- ah. if you, if you, if, get, this, if you get pinged by radar, yeah. then, then you avoid. And every time you get, you get, you detect radar detecting you, you avoid and you try. And you've, because you've got, I mean, they know what, what the outline of America is, uh, the outline of the world via GPS is. So basically, it, it sounds like a relatively simple in that sense to just simply say, it's basically get, like get a, to like that part of get, car. R- yeah, get mm-hmm. to the, you know this 
some several one of several targets in, in mainland US, um, whatever way you can, avoiding radar and keep going. And the thing that the, the real um, the real the thing that makes a difference there is the fact that it can stay flying indefinitely because that was a problem before and that well miss any other missile a chemical fuel missile is going to run out of run out of um, fuel eventually you can't keep doing that but if it keep going all the time well then eventually apparently it's not a new concept but it's it's never been developed that mm-hmm. a cruise missile which isn't that big you know can be powered by its own mini nuclear reactor so that seems to be a novel development. Well, apparently they were looking, it was being developed in the 60s. Yeah. Even the Americans were yeah. looking at it in the 60s, and then they said, you know, this is too much of a hassle. Let's just uh, go with the... Let's with go the, massive. No, let's just go with the chemical fuels. Chemical fuels. Yeah, uh, more efficient. Know, easier, easier, and, you know, you just want to lob it over to that country. You don't want it to fly around forever. Like, what's the point in having... I mean, nu- nuclear power plants are for... Like, mobile nuclear, nuclear power plants on, on ships or submarines are for... Allow, are on the, those to allow them to stay at, at sea for, for a long time. for months and months. Yeah, uh, on their own steam. On, well, not steam. On their own uranium. <laughs> um, but why? Why missiles? Like, I mean, you don't want a missile to stay in the air for forever. But apparently, sometimes you do, depending on yeah. what you're up against. Well, the I think the, it was actually the Americans might have been working on it, but the Russians were too in the 60s and 70s, and right. they because they were they were developing you know, extra small nuclear reactors and even considering them for use in, like, civil air aviation. So they were considering, oh, well, can we power, like, a, a civilian airliner with a, a nuclear reactor? And they ended up nixing the idea just because it would be, well, they couldn't figure out the, the shielding, you know, to right. to, to uh, protect the, the crew and the passengers and also just the danger of it. Like, you know, you have one of those things go down and you've got a... <clears throat> A nuclear event, right? You know, right. <laughs> the fallout, and it's just it's just uh, pretty dangerous. And so, so this is kind of like, um, of course, it's dangerous too with a missile. But I mean, <laughs> if if you're launching one of those things, then you, I mean, it's already nuclear war. So, um, you know, it's not <laughs> it's not like a, an error is going to uh, you know destroy the planet any less. Yeah, well, but uh, oh, oh, on that point, I was just ta- I was talking to someone who, who knows a little bit about it, and. Um, and they suggested that it could be a kind of uh, um, like the nu- nuclear reaction that, that has to happen to cr- create the power, to create the energy. Could be like Putin said it was hundred times smaller than the nuclear reactors in the in the submarines and ships. So that's pretty small, and um, mm. and that it would be. I mean, nobody really knows because nobody developed it apparently except the Russians, and it's classified. So, but that it would be a kind of slow. A slow, some uh, some version of slow, a slow reaction, a slow burn, a slow burn. Effectively, that's as close mm-hmm. as you could come to say what it would, would be like. And that in in that case, it would not be radioactive. Ah, interesting. Mm-hmm. So well, you know, you wouldn't need things, like all the shielding and all that kind of stuff for people working on building the missiles and all that kind of stuff. It wouldn't be dangerous for people to be around. You wouldn't you wouldn't have to go in there in hazmat suits and yeah. and, and only spend a short period of time there. You know, it's it's not radioactive in the same way. It's a different. Mm-hmm. Different kind of burn, basically. Yeah, different but rate, the, different scale. The other weapons he stressed were capable of having, of being equipped with or without a nuclear warhead. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely a nuclear theme. All of them, yeah. The point being, you know, nuclear theme is the biggest threat you can give. It, it was back in the 50s and 60s, it still is today. Um, I'm thinking here of the underwater submersible. 
I think also nuclear powered can go and go along the sea floor for as long as need be, yeah. and then pop up directly below undetected under a an aircraft carrier or a port mm-hmm. somewhere directly, and cause. This is the one that was not a secret because it was accidentally leaked in quotes a couple of years ago. Right. Plans for it, right? Um, Although that that the one that was leaked was was a bit more like, like a dirty bomb, as they call them. Basically, mm-hmm. it was just a, 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 a like a torpedo or something uh, packed with uh, highly radioactive material that would just kind of explode or detonate on the coast. And the point isn't that the explosion does much damage; it's that it leaks radiation inland and all along the coast that makes it uninhabitable for, you know, a hundred years or more, mm-hmm. you know. Um, that's pretty, that's pretty nasty, you know, that's pretty, that's really up in the ante, like that's, uh, but then it's no different from, from nukes, because nukes can pretty much do the same thing, you know. Exactly. So, uh, so why not if you're going to go there, you know. The other one was the one he referred to as a fireball or a meteorite. Ah. This was a hypersonic, 10 times, Mach 10, basically 10 times the speed of sound, what's that, like 7,000, 10,000, 11,000 kilometers an hour. <clears throat> which isn't that far off. Some actual meteorites uh, fly that slow, actually. A lot of others fly faster than that, maybe 20 times, 30 times the speed of sound. But it's fast enough to... Uh, and it sounds like he was referring to what, what they call a, a kinetic weapon. There's no explosive in it. It's just like a big lump of... Uh, it has a, a big payload that's just heavy, like a big lump of lead or steel or something like that, something very heavy. But because of the speed that it's travelling at, it does the same destruction as a... As a as a chunk of space rock hitting the ground and causes uh, the kinetic energy is as bad as a, a major, major bomb. And, uh, is this the space one that they can send yeah, up? Yeah. And it can the arrow, basically arrow orbit the Earth for a while and then at whatever point of choosing it can be sent down well, and well, it splits in 12. No, that was the actual, that was the, the Sarmat, Sarmat one. That was the Sarmat one. That was the um, multi, multiple uh, something, MIRV, multiple something re-entry vehicle basically it's basically like a, uh, uh, a nu- nuclear weapon that has maybe 10 different warheads in it it's split apart then as they go down the trajectory so it's like 10 10 bombs in one but um, um, uh, that's that's fairly old uh, technology you know yeah. um but the, it's very conventional but anyway. the new one they have of that is is just faster i think they said that that one would be up to like 20 times because it's it's kind of like it's really churning out the the power basically, it's it's traveling. Maybe I think he said up to twenty times the speed of sound, so twenty thousand kilometers an hour. Yeah, so that make, that's what makes it virtually unstoppable. So all of the the, the the theme around across the four or five that they mentioned was all that they were in one way or another unstoppable, either via speed or or via you know being able to stay aloft or stay stay flying for indefinitely, uh, and and being intelligent in that respect can navigate around. Uh, that's the unstoppable aspect of it. But the arrow point one was more like a. A smaller device that was more or less like a kinetic energy weapon. The, Mar- the Americans have been developing those as well. You know, like the, uh, they have rail guns, um, which is like an electromagnetic kind of field generator that propels it. It's kind of electromagnetism that that progel- propels a projectile, and it's just a big lump. Like I mean, there's videos of it. It's just a it's a solid piece of, of iron something, or some kind of metal, yeah. and they just it gets propelled at uh, at massive speed, and it's not it's not highly accurate either, but because of that, but um, it's just the speed at which it flies and the density of it, where it's just there's no explosive. It's just once it hits you, that's it's it's like a, a bomb going off anyway. Yeah. You know, suppose it saves money on, on explosives. You know, I suppose the intention of this then is to, for the first time in a while, put the Americans on the defensive. 
Um, it, when you think about what's happened, they've, they've been so offense-oriented, always under the guise, of course, of defending. So the rationale for putting the Patriot um, anti-missile systems, anti-missile in quotes, in Eastern Europe was to defend Europe from Iran. That was back before Russia became enemy number one. Of course, today it's just switched. The narrative is, oh, it's to defend against Russia. I think it was always about Russia. We we know that. For sure it was. Um, Same with respect to China and putting missile batteries in Korea. Um, Anti-missile. You know, it's anti-missile. It's for the defense of our allies. Yes, we're so... No, it's not. It's it's patently offensive. You're all the way over there. You're not defending the land whatsoever that you're from. It's offensive it's, in nature. It's, it's probably it's not so much offensive as a, a better term. I think a more accurate term would be it's intimidatory, or it's, yeah. it's for the purpose of intimidation. You put a bunch of missiles right there, and the threat, the implied threat, is we can bomb you, therefore you must comply. Mm-hmm. And that's why America gets its way, which is threatening and compelling uh, other countries to do what they want them to do. Uh, so that is, yeah, that's an aggressive act, even though it's not necessarily we're going putting these missiles here to actually bomb you. It's there, it's there to force your compliance. Uh, so mm-hmm. any response to that is obviously uh, defensive in nature, um, but obviously it it can become offensive. But as Putin says, you know, we'll only do this in in the in the situation where where we are attacked, and we will. I mean, it was explicit that we will use n- nuclear weapons if if Russia's uh, if the Russian the existence of the country. Uh, uh, he was obviously choosing his his timing carefully. Because he specifically cited a recent mm-hmm. change on the U.S. side mm-hmm. that sort of, I suppose, justified what he laid out this week. And that was the tr- Trump administration update to the U.S. nuclear posture mm-hmm. review. Mm-hmm. I think that's the term they call it. Basically, a document that they lay out and update periodically under which circumstances the United States would use nuclear weapons. And... Putin was correct in that the language had been changed to make it far more open-ended than it had ever existed before. What that the point? U.S. would be justified to use, and they they didn't say just nuclear weapons. That they no, they were they, very they, explicit. They didn't just leave it very. They said now we will, we can use nuclear weapons if if uh, we uh, are subjected to a cyber cyber attack. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's like that's that's really. It's kind of very threatening as well, and very and very pointed in the context of all the the past year or two of, of Russian ha- Russia hacking our elections. Like that's yes. saying, like well, what what's the what's the criteria then? Are you saying that if if you decide that we hacked your midterm elections this year, that's going to be a cyber attack, and you're going to uh, nuke us? Because I mean, on a completely fake charge, like for example, uh, the most recent one of Russia hacked our elections, is that enough for you to launch a nuclear attack on on Russia? Because it's a cyber attack, and what? Because it threatens threatens our fields. It makes us feel bad. It's ridiculous, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Putin said explicitly when when reciting this in his speech. Listen, we can't spend our days second guessing whether or not you really mean what you say. If you write that down on an official government statement, and we'll take. We as, have got to respond. <laughs> we'll take it as as you're serious about it. Yeah, we can only yeah we can only assume you're serious. And as some as a few guys, a few of the guys were saying in the in the chat room, and we thought of it as well at the time. Whenever they put mentioned that um, that missile, as I, he said, it was it would be like a fireball or a meteorite. That's kind of ominous, also from from our perspective, because what happens now that Russia has said that and Putin used those terms? What if a, a, a space rock, an actual fireball or meteorite, happens to hit America? 
Uh, is, uh, is, is CNN going to uh, run a headline of, you know, was this really a space rock? Given that Putin recently said he has missiles that act like a fireball or a meteorite, has Russia just attacked us, you know? People said that after Chelyabinsk in Russia. Now they were fringe, you know, this is just whatever, internet speculation. Um, a couple of kooky so-called UFO experts looked at them and said, it looked like it had intelligent control. We wonder if it was a secret U.S. Yeah. new weapon that was that was behind, that was, was what Chelyabin's meteor actually was. Now, of course, the Russians, they don't have maybe the same hysterical, they wouldn't have grabbed and latched onto that and spun it and used it in the media. They just put that to bed quietly. It didn't right. get any traction in the, in the public sphere. But mm. you, you can well imagine in the current U.S. climate, yeah, that they would run with that. We already have an idea that they are kind of onto this notion because over the last 10 years, there have been all kinds of think tanks. There's one like some anti-Muslim league, like, I don't know what their name is again, but their, their, their spiel it includes like that guy Woolsey, the ex-CIA director on the board of directors. Um, James and their spiel is that um, the U.S. is currently exposed and needs to beef up its defense in the event that North Korea or Iran set off EMPs mm-hmm. and knock out our power. And I remember when they said that, we, we were thinking how easy that would be to, to right. flip in the event of some over, overhead meteor event. Not necessarily one that wipes out a city, but something that can cause right, but a, a serious disruption to U.S. Uh, energy networks. Right. But around the same time, DARPA releases a video of them, of DARPA, i.e. the Pentagon, developing their own EMP drone-type device. It's like a, basically like a small rocket that just flies around and uh, detonates and uh, creates an, e- uh, an, e- an electromagnetic pulse over a city. <laughs> so it's just ridiculous. I mean, they do. They just accuse everybody of what they're doing themselves, you know, which is, you know, in true psycho style, that's what happens, I suppose. So well, one, of, yes? one more thing on this... Uh, if you look at the, we mentioned it like right, right at the beginning, but one of the things about the the U.S. media coverage, what little there has been on this, at first it's focused entirely on these weapons, and it has been framed as if, um, well, and it took a it took a quote out of context. So it basically said that Putin is threatening a new arms race with the you know with the U.S. and the world, um, mm-hmm. and what he actually said was. Um, I can't remember the exact quote, but essentially, we don't want to start another arms race. Like, uh, this, it's not a good idea. Um, but, of course, the context gets let out, um, gets left out. And the context has been, you know, everything that you guys have been saying for the, you know, this past half hour. And that is that, you know, for the, uh, until recently, like until the last generation, there has been um, a detente. Like, it, it has been a, a policy of mutually assured destruction. So you basically keep your keep your technology and your your nuclear capability at such a level that if one country were to launch a nuclear attack, the other country would have time, like Joe said, to be able to take down as many of those as possible and launch a counterattack, and there would be mutual destruction. And the idea behind that, you know, as crazy as it is, it you know, it makes sense in game theory, game theory terms. It's like, well, I'm not going to launch an attack because I know that I'd be destroyed in the process. So presumably that should be enough of a deterrent to get any rational, um, you know, decision maker not to launch a nuclear attack. And with the pulling out of the ABM treaty, um, the U.S. Is ba- yeah, the the 
the U.S. policy has essentially been that, uh, well, the U.S. goal has essentially been to develop technologies and to pull out of certain treaties to develop the ability to um, to counter any counterattack so that if the U.S. launches a first strike, you know, nuclear attack, they can get away with it. Right. That's been their goal. We, we want, like the U.S. wants to be able to attack a country with their nuclear weapons and forestall completely any fall any fallout or any you know any counterattack mm-hmm. from that country that's all that they've been that's all that right. they've been wanting and that's what they've been gearing towards so again, again i think it, it, yeah i just want to interject there and say again i think it's more the the threat the threat that, that it's not that carries yeah it's not that they want to do that mm. but they want to have uh want to create mm-hmm. a situation where the, the the target country or the enemy country knows that that can happen and yeah. therefore you get compliance yeah. Well, and the only, and really, the only way to get them to think that is if, is if, is if that country truly believes that they can do it, right? So it's not mm-hmm. necessarily that, that they'd actually do it, like you're saying, but they have to have, um, you know, they can't be bluffing essentially. Um, well, they can get away with bluffing, you know, to a certain degree, but if they really want their, you know, their threat to stick, they have to um, at least make a plausible case that they have that capability. Mm-hmm. Now, for a country like Russia. You know th- that, or for any country that actually will um, have a, a national policy of preserving their own sovereignty and making their own decisions, that means that you know they can't do that as long as there's a credible like nuclear threat against them. Because mm-hmm. you know, as much as you as much as you do the math and say, okay, well, you know, I don't think they're really going to do it if they have the capability. Like mm-hmm. in a in that situation, you have to factor that into your decision-making process. Mm. Like, there is a chance that, 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 that they will do something crazy. So Putin's response and Russia's response in these last years with the development of these technologies has been totally rational in the sense that, okay, well, if you guys are developing your your capability for a first-strike nuclear launch, well, we're going to have to make that make it so that you can't do that. Mm-hmm. So... So there's, it's just hysteric. Like there's a lot of hysterics in the press about, you know, Putin kind of trying to one up both Kim and, you know, Trump with their, you know, my button's bigger than yours, and now Putin says, mm-hmm. well, actually, mine's mine's biggest. Um, <laughs> but really, it's like a what, you know, with for a big for a big powerful country like Russia, that's really the only choice you have. And essentially, what he's saying is that now, you know, the balance of power has been restored. You can't launch a first strike. Because you can't take out our counterattack, mm-hmm. and our counterattack will be totally debilitating. Mm-hmm. So don't even try it. Yeah, right. and it, it, so it's basically like you can't bluff anymore. Right. This is what we. Well, there's this another what we thing mean that, by that. Uh, that he said. Uh, he he also said if if you attack uh, our allies, so he is also putting under the umbrella. You know, one would imagine Syria and Iran, China, uh, China, and and kind of proactively diffusing any um, any attack that would be a, a kind of a first step in a, in a series of attacks towards that whole cluster that, that's been defending Syria. Um, and, you know, it's funny, on, on the point of this hysterical reaction, uh, NATO came out with a few comments recently as well. Uh, they, they said that they thought that Putin's recent State of the Union was counterproductive, and and they still mm. maintain that, uh, that all of the... Uh, ABM uh, missiles and, and the system that's uh, that's been set up in Poland and Romania uh, of late were uh, in response to the Iran threat. I mean, 
you know, mm-hmm. as, yeah. as, as if anybody still believes that. But keep the bluff um, going. Keep the keep the bluff going for and, public And on that really. point, uh, Putin, you know, a foreshadowing of all of this was was Putin's comments uh, in May of 2016, uh, when Poland and Romania uh, were first introducing their uh, their BMD system, uh, which can be covertly converted into a, an, an offensive uh, weapon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he said, no one is listening. And, and now he had a chance to say two years later, uh, no one is listening. Maybe now you'll listen. I mean, he has to come out and actually say this. Mm-hmm. He has to be overt about it. Uh, he has to, uh, he has to say, look, uh, we're, we're going to defend ourselves. We, we have, uh, we're a step ahead of you at this point, but we're still willing to speak with you. Uh, he affirmed that. He said it a couple of times. He said, you can't treat us like, uh, like crap, basically. Um, so he's, he's, he's got this, this weapon, this thing that he can uh, hold as a strategic uh, defense against U.S. belligerence, but he's also continuing to extend his hand. And and uh, that that's another point that is just uh, lost on Western media. Like you were saying, Harrison, the the main thrust of the way the U.S. press was covering this was, you know, Putin bragging about his his uh, his new powers, his newfound powers. And um, Washington Post, New York Times even called into question whether or not they were legitimate or or Putin was bluffing. Yeah. I mean, they they should know by now after. Uh, his address to the, U- the UN in 2015. The guy doesn't bluff. Uh, shortly after he addressed the UN uh, and and dressed down the U.S. for its uh, its regime change policy, what does he do? What does Russia do? It gets involved in Syria. So mm-hmm. this is it's no bluff. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I warning. thought it was interesting that it, this speech came exactly 2.5 years after. Um, that the the day the Russians started bombing in Syria, I symbolically perhaps it's just probably just a coincidence that it's March first and it had been October first, twenty fifteen when the Russians started bombing in Syria. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, um, we, we have to you have to remember that it, it's a very unpleasant or un unsatisfactory situation to be in but I mean you know with these missiles for example I'm sure the Russians have done done their you know their war done their homework and carried out the war games and stuff where you know America has 10 aircraft carriers <clears throat> all of those aircraft carriers can be at sea at the same time in a certain situation and the Russians could I think they have 20 no I think it's 10 isn't it? 10 or 11 I don't know, whatever. Anyway, so they could all be at sea at the same time, and um, and the Russians could uh, disa- you know, destroy them all in very short order. But that would never happen because that would be an act of war, and that would very quickly the whole the time frame <clears throat> from you know between, like, say, Russia and or even China as well, but Russia and the U.S. between them actually <clears throat> exchanging fire, uh, like you know, hostile action against directly against each other's militaries or against their military assets, uh, the time frame between that happening and it being all over in the sense of nuclear war would be, uh, would be no time at all. Um, so that's why you, 
that's why we're having these kind of proxy wars at this time as well. It's because uh, America can never directly attack any U.S. military asset, asset, asset uh, and the US, Russian, or sorry, Russian asset, and the U.S. Um, and Russia can never directly attack any U.S. military asset. Um, so you have this proxy. That's why you have proxy wars, and you get other people to you're fighting for for you, and they say, "Oh, that was ISIS <coughs> attacked, shot down that plane." <coughs> Or Russia can say, "Oh, that was Syri- Syrian military defense that shot down that Israeli plane," you know, um, and it'll never, it'll never get to that point really where where they will fight each other. But yet they have to build up all of these weapon systems that are prepared or, or you know they're specifically designed to specifically designed for that outcome of attacking each other directly. But you never use them. Mm-hmm. And everybody agrees that you will never use them, but you pour billions of dollars into developing them and having them on hand, and then never use them because I mean all those weapons that most of, well pretty much all those weapons that Putin talked about and all of America's nukes obviously and its other uh, most a lot of its other weapons that it's developing are all designed to attack either you know Russia or China, but they're never going to do it. Yeah. And it gets back to what we were saying before. It's about intimidation. It's been able to... America wants to intimidate with these weapons and never use them. And that's effective because if a country realizes, well, the implied threat there is that if we don't do what they want, they will destroy us. So we are going to do what they want. And what Russia and China are trying to do is simply push back and say, listen, we could do the same to you. Therefore, you don't get to intimidate us. Intimidate us. You don't get to force us to comply with your wishes. You have to actually mm-hmm. come to the table with your big boy pants on and... Uh, uh, you know, kind of consider our interests. We have to parlay. We have to agree on something that's mutually beneficial or that we're both willing to live with. And that's... Yeah, you're not ever going to go into the Balkans again, for example, without telling us, at least telling us. Um, this is... this is. You mentioned the word depressing. Um, I mean, to a casual observer, this is another game of one-upmanship. This is Kim Jong-un and Trump... Two alpha males battling it out over who has the biggest ding dong or button. <laughs> but here's another way of looking at it. The first half of the 20th century had two world wars, which were horrific. At the end of which, a weapon that could wipe out everything, all life, was the culmination, the peak mm-hmm. of mankind's technological development. So, right there, it was like. A realization articulated in various forms, but they realize, everyone realized, even the Americans, you know, deep staters, we have to apply conscious effort to not just carry on in the way that things have been going by default. Because on the current trajectory, that's the end of it for everyone. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's why the Cold War develops where there's a mutual assured destruction, a standoff where both have, and then understandings develop, and there's detente. Now, detente gave way in the 80s to a rehystericization and eventually that the collapse of the USSR. But apart from that, let's say, anomaly, the general balance actually, far from being depressing, has extended a relatively peaceful world for the last 70 years. Mm-hmm. It's an umbrella of peace. And Putin, Putin will say as much himself. Look what happened when that took a knock in 1990. 
the USSR collapses, what's the first thing that happened? The US, for the first time, went directly into the Middle East with mm. the invasion, the mm -hmm. first Iraq war. That's not a coincidence. You, 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 it's not even any, con let's, let's just say there's no conscious evil malevolent scheming. If the threat that previously held you in check is no longer there, well, you just, you just fill the space mm -hmm. and then you go. And, and you notice the justification. Uh, quarter, quarter of a century later, you've got, you know, six million dead Muslims. What was the justification for Was that a coincidence as well? The justification for it? Was that this guy was... Uh, particular day in September. September 11th. Was that a coincidence as well? That well, I was thinking of 1990, but yeah. Well they, well, they went in the first Gulf War, but they didn't yeah. do an awful lot, no. right? And Saddam was still in power. They weren't really there. They had their Saudi setup going and stuff, but then... When they got their shit together, basically, over that the next seven or eight years, <clears throat> and Osama bin Laden appeared in the scene, uh, blowing up embassies in Africa and stuff in '97, and then three or four years later, you have 9/11 done by Osama bin Laden, and then boom, we're right into the Middle East, we're right into Iraq, and right into Afghanistan, right in the middle of it, with all of our troops and weapons, and we haven't left, haven't left since, and everything that happened since then in the Middle East and the Greater Middle East, around like Libya. Uh, is all a direct result of that. And, uh, yeah, so they just, they saw space. And it was like, yeah, it was an opportunistic, hey, look, you know, this is all falling apart, Soviet Union's falling apart. It took them a few years to get their shit together. And, but it's interesting that they created a rationale for it. You know, why in 1991, the first Gulf War, or in the years after that, why didn't they just all just pile over there, you know? They needed some, I suppose you had to get the troops on board, you had the people on board, all that kind of stuff, but they really realized, or they seemed to have really understood they needed to get those people on board via this galvanizing uh, event, you know, this, uh, how is it described? Uh, the New Pearl Harbor. Yeah, uh, um, that, that, that would get people behind it and they could justify, that's, that's still kind of, I can understand it, but it still perplexes me to this day that they went to that, those lengths. You know, uh, and here I'm assuming that 9-11 was an inside job, as the saying goes, um, of one type or another, uh, that they went to the, those lengths to um, to justify simply occupying post, uh, what is effectively post-Soviet uh, space, you know, um, or a strategic area right, you know, right where the, in the area, well, Afghanistan, more or less post-Soviet, you know. Um, but they did, you know. They, they they decided they needed that that motivation, you know. So yeah, there's something very very you know coincidental about obviously 9/11 is a big elephant in the room, but it can be explained by them simply thinking, hey, there's stuff to be had here. Let's get the rest of the world. You know, the Soviet Union occupied the East. Soviet Union falls. Let's get the East. Uh, yeah. But it, it was thwarted very quickly, you know. And those countries that they went into in the Middle East were the traditional allies of Moscow. Right. Mm -hmm. So we see Moscow falls, the center falls, now's our chance. Right. We need to do this and we need to do it big, forward operating basis, full spectrum dominance. While they're down, mm -hmm. Putin comes along, okay, we need to rapidly get back to the status quo. Right. And what's happening, I mean, Syria, they go in and attempt, so far so good, attempt to rebalance the situation in the Middle East. It's more than that. I mean, uh, plenty of American foreign policy think tank types are, are saying, are just saying the whole nine yards lately. They're saying Russia is now the 
big player again in the Middle East, more than us. So there is an acknowledgement of reality among yeah. some, to some extent. Well, reluctant, let's say. Very reluctant acknowledgement, but that's only in the media. But behind the scenes, they're scheming as to how to undo it all, you know? And they don't seem to be giving up yet, you know? And it seems to be, like we mentioned earlier, it's proxy warfare now, you know? That's, that's mm. the way... I mean, you can, you know, you can get 100,000 trained jihadis. So, quote-unquote jihadis, which, not even jihadis, just mercenaries, guys who never freaking saw the Quran in their life claiming to be members of ISIS, you know, couldn't read the Quran because they can't read, um, claiming to be members of ISIS, blah, 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 having this, we want to establish a caliphate, yeah, 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 whatever, you're American proxy soldiers, obviously, but there's maybe 100,000 of you, that's as much as, more or less, that's as much as the US uh, put into Iraq in regular troops, so why would you bother, you know, you don't have to deal with the whole body bags coming home and, you know, the funerals with the flag draped coffins and public sentiment back home being against the war and stuff. Well, it's, you know, it's technically not our war. You know, we're just there having a look at the sea, you know. And in fact, real Orwellian stuff, you know, bizarre stuff where you create an, a proxy army and then use it, not just to, well, you use it to, to do your fighting for you, to overthrow a, uh, uh, a government or something. Um, but you also then use it as justification to put your own actual, you know, uh, military presence there to fight your own proxy army that's really taking it taking it to the next level like well the, the other thing is uh just to get back to the the whole purpose of the the speech that putin gave here uh he just sees no end in sight um you know after all the kind of face saving uh measures and uh attempts he had given to the u.s to kind of back down in Syria, to back down in the Ukraine, uh, the U.S. continues to double down and uh, and maintain its its aggressive posture uh, in both places. Um, you know, the U.S. has been supporting the Kurds uh, in, in trying to section off part of North uh, Syria. There's talk about Israel uh, continuing to support its opposition so-called groups in Syria as well uh, with the full expectation that, that, that they're going to get backing uh, from the U.S. Um, just after the speech, uh, the U.S. armed Kiev uh, with these Javelin missile uh, arms. So uh, it, the, the proxy war hasn't stopped. It's just kind of morphed. Uh, and and at, at this point, I, you have to imagine that Russia is saying, well, what the hell are they going to do now? Mm. Uh, they just seem to keep upping the ante. And uh, and who knows how they're going to take it a, 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 to another level or to a next step, in which case they have to hear in no uncertain terms that we're not going to permit it. So I think there was a, an element of, of of drawing another line in the sand, so to say, and saying, you know, you guys have to chill out here. Please, you know, take a chill and mm. and talk to us because as it I, is, I, it, this is totally unacceptable. No, I, he, they, they they don't listen like that. It's it's as Joe said. You see, proxy war is is the peaceable alternative to Russia and the U.S. nuking it out. You see, if if this upper top level of Totally destructive weapons are 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 not usable. 
then the, the same thing is just going to filter down and come out in different forms. Believe it or not, proxy war is the, best the welcome offer. option compared to shock and awe where they just carpet bomb a country, right? And knock out everything, the civilian infrastructure, the whole work. So this is, I suppose this, this, this is the positive spin on this. There isn't going to be mm-hmm. another Yugoslavia. There isn't going to be another Iraq or mm-hmm. another Libya. No. I, I wish I, would, I could share your confidence in that. I mean, when, when you hear about U.S. forces bombing certain areas in Syria and killing Syrian soldiers, for instance, uh, and uh, U.S. NATO troops training Kiev, it just seems like they're, they're inching forward, inching forward, uh, pushing things as far as they can possibly go. Um, and then sure, but they're no longer doing shock and awe. They can only go so far, though, you know. With, with the proxy war, I mean, because it can't break out into direct conflict between regular forces of, of those two major powers. You know? Mm-hmm. Because because they know that, especially now after what Putin said, as we've been talking about then, the unveiling of of their, of, of these new weapons and stuff, that um, it, 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 the, the, the implication is that uh, it's too great, you know. It's 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 mad. Mad has been restored, you know. Uh, has been restored, um, and yeah, I don't know what else they can do. To be honest, I don't think they can only just keep the proxy war, keep keep the dirty tricks going, you know. Attempt various economic war. Like, look look at the example. Look at what has happened over the past few years that 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 they have resorted to. They've resorted to, you know. Um, Blackening the name of Russian athletes. Russia's now at the Olympics. That's that's what they've got basically. That, when when you see them resorting to those to, to, to those measures, that's a, that is clearly a sign of, of weakness and a sign of uh, that that they don't have anything else. They're not they're not they're not able to intimidate in the way that they were before, and, and they've resorted to smearing. I mean that's what, that's what people do, you know. I mean. You know, when a bully will get his way if he can beat you down and, you know, make you submit uh, and until you grow big enough that he can't do that anymore, then the real nasty kind of bullies will turn around and start calling your name, start blackening your name around the neighborhood, spreading rumors about you. That's pretty much what, uh, what that's <laughs> one of the major uh, tactics of, of the U.S. these days, vis-a-vis Russia, is to, um, is to smear them, try and make them look bad, you know, cut them out of, cut them out of the international community. And they've done a very good job of it, you know. Uh, I mean, and including, like, we can go back to you know, Ukraine, MH17, you know. Uh, because Russia was winning yeah, in Ukraine, mm-hmm. effectively, and uh, taking Crimea and had, you know, kind of more or less facilitated the the, the separation of Donetsk and Luhansk, um, Americans, the Americans' response was, let's shoot down, let's take an opportunity and shoot down an aircraft, uh, commercial aircraft full of people and blame it on Putin. And that's exactly what they did because before, before the wreckage had stopped uh, burning of MH17, the Western papers were, were were screaming the headline, "Putin killed my baby." But uh, you know, some uh, some family member using a quote from some family member. Now that was obviously the point of shooting down of MH17 was to was to tarnish and. Uh, you know, black in the name of of Russia in the international community, and that was that's four years ago now, and uh, mm-hmm. and they have not stopped doing that ever since. And the most direct attack they've been able to 
use against Russia are economic sanctions, right? which for the most part are Don't work. simply worked around or laughed off. And it's gone a stage further, if you like, where the next stage, as, as part of the sort of cultural information war against Russia, wherever it may be, at, at international events or within Russia itself, they suck at that too because Russia took countermeasures to prevent uh, as much as possible U.S. agitation within the country. Uh, yeah, within Russia. And what have we seen since? It, the, the fight, the battleground at that level anyway, is taking place in the U.S. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Um. It's kind of like the last stand. I mean, the last stand, as I imagine it would be, would be that it would be the, the worst outcome would be that Americans en masse see Russia as, as today as it's configured as doing good. Mm-hmm. Because then it's curtains. Yeah. Everything else falls from that. I mean, you, can, you can step back from all this and say, well, you know, all's fair, or that silly quote goes, all's fair, or that silly maxim goes, all's fair in love and war. Um, that whatever America can think of to do to maintain its position and get its share of the pie, uh, which is being threatened, let's say, by Russia and China, whatever it can do to get that is all fair, right? But it's, and, and this is justific- a justification for our criticism, our siding with Russia and criticism of, of the US, because if you, if you take it back to just kind of, if you allow for that, uh, you know, yeah. Each side is 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 fully entitled to do whatever it can. Uh, but that's not really. I mean, conflict. Most people, ordinary people, say, well, there's no point in fighting all the time. Surely there's a better way from having decades-long fights with each other. Surely you should try and resolve it. Surely we can kind of work together. And America is the one who's basically standing, uh, digging its heels in and saying, no, we're not going to work together because. What we say goes. That's the way it's been, and that's the way it should be. And we're not willing to work with any other country in, a, in, an, equal, in an equal way, you know, unless they're already our kind of lackeys. But anybody who, um, for whatever ideological reasons or, you know, economic reasons, whatever, and anybody that uh, that isn't our lackey already, we're we're going to take a hostile approach to them, and we're going to fight them. We're going to continue the fight, and we're going to get as dirty as we possibly can. And it strays into the kind of area of being dishonourable, effectively. You know, it's not a fair fight. You know, I mean, in any kind of fight between someone, say someone, <clears throat> you know, say say there's a fight going on in the street between two guys, whatever, and they, and they arrange it, whatever, and they say, okay, just you and me, fisticuffs, let's say, best man wins, that kind of thing, right? And one of them brings along a knife, a small covert knife, and, and sticks it. You know, well, right there, that person, who's, are you, are you really going to say, well, good move, at least that's, that's how you win, hey? Winning is, is all that matters, you know? But that's not really... For the average sane person, it's not an honourable thing to do, and it's not going to win you any a lot of fans, right? If if people realise that that's what you're doing, and we're trying to what we are, go to great pains to explain is that that's basically the approach that America takes. It's very underhanded, very dirty, very sneaky, dishonest. Does not uh, fulfil its promises. Says one thing, does another. I mean, uh, across. I mean, just at the level of normal humanity. That would be universally accepted as that country would be universally seen as the bad one, the the, the black hats, right? And that's why we take the approach that we're taking because we're standing up for at least eat, we're allowing for the possibility of conflict, of international conflict, of, of of countries competing with each other. But we're kind of saying, well, there should be some some kind of ground rules that should be adhered to, and that's how you find it. The best man wins, right? It's like 
it's not a quality here. It's like it's basically one person is going to win if they're better, and then shake hands afterwards, and that's done. And then you know, uh, so this this strays far from that, you know, and it's um, it's just not good, and, and and that's our justification for it, and that's all I have to say about the war in Vietnam. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, this does this does stray. J- just want to add to that is this does stray very far from it. Um, if you look at the patterns of, of prior conflicts in the past 10 or 15 years, uh, there's always been a kind of a run-up uh, in terms of propaganda, in terms of aggressive acts. So um, it, it just seems as though, uh, you know, I would just leave open the possibility that, that the U.S. as a cornered animal, uh, as a crazed, mad dog of, a, of an empire that it's on, that's on its last legs, that sees no other um, possibility or option than to, you know, treat everything like a nail because it's mm. a hammer, mm. uh, is is that it will attempt to pursue uh, its its agenda of subjugating Russia, Iran, mm-hmm. Syria, and and may go to lengths that don't seem probable or. Um, or at the very least surpass the proxy war, uh, just well, leaving it open as a possibility. It's kind of it's always it's, possible. Well, it's insanity, though. I mean, ultimately, the, the, totally. their, their denial of reality is insanity. And as you lose more and more touch with reality, yeah, you may mm-hmm. just go the as the, quote unquote the, the nuclear option, right? You may just lose all and do the Israeli Samson option. If we can't have it, we're going to take them down with us. But I think they're still sane enough to realize that you know they, they'll take. Putin at his word, basically, and realize that, you know, it's too risky to, we could be annihilated as well, and there's still some level of self-preservation. And they don't think they're at the point yet where, where, where it's all lost, basically, where, you know, America has lost everything in the world. They're still going to fight for it, and they'll, and they'll, but I don't, I think they've run against a brick wall in terms of all the things they've tried against Russia, and I can't imagine any other ones that they could use, except, except in the sense that they will continue to, they'll increasingly shoot themselves in the foot. They'll become more and more isolated internationally, and they will actually be the architects of their own destruction. And they will have, they may have the last laugh, and they may be, in that sense, they may take a book or a page out of the of their jihadi friends book, which is what, what do they do as a last resort. They set boogie trap, boogie traps. No, well, they blow themselves, blow up. themselves up. Yeah. So America will turn into a, like a macro scale suicide bomber, you know. <laughs> as, and that could happen in the, in the con- that could happen not in a conscious way, but as a result of this insanity, this re- refusal to accept reality, they may mm-hmm. run themselves into the ground and cause an economic collapse in America, which of course would probably have serious uh, implications for or seriously negative effects for the rest of the world. So in that sense, they'd have the last laugh. But I don't know if you ever saw the movie. Um, it keeps coming to mind when I think of that scenario or think of future for. America, um, there's a movie called... No, that one too, but uh, there's a movie with Robert De Niro. uh, Taxi? No, he was a crazy person. Uh, He's like a stalker. Do you know that one's called? Taxi driver. Is it not Point Pleasant? Maybe it is Point Pleasant. Cape Fear? Cape Fear, there you go. Sorry, Cape Fear. You know the last scene in that where he's like, he's kind of rambling, speaking in tongues as he's going down? (laughs) Well, the boat he ends up getting himself he's trying <laughs> exactly <laughs> as he goes under the, under the waves with with on the mast of yeah. the boat in in the river uh, and that that'll be the last audience because you know he was just driven by an insane ideology and pushed it far you know w- way beyond what was reasonable and uh, 
and he was the architect of his own destruction. And if America follows, continues on the course that it's on now, I think ultimately they will be the architect of their own destruction. And because that, that's that's the end result. I mean, it's almost like a, a cliche, you know, mm. throughout history that, that, that those kind of people who refuse to see sense they stray further and further into unreality and make more and more mistakes. And their enemies are only too happy to allow them to make those mistakes. Putin said a couple of these new weapons he described in his speech don't have names yet, so he invited any member of the public to suggest some names for these systems. Mm. Um, Our own uh, Mr. Scott suggested Genie Mm. for the nuke-powered cruise missile that can fly anywhere, right? Because, you know, once it's out of the bottle... Can't put it back in. Yeah, it's a bit late to say... Oh, please don't. Sorry, he's gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whatever happens, you, they better not put it to a popular vote because you, you know what happens then. They're going to end up with a missile called Missile McMissile Face. Or uh, Red Fox suggested Nuki McNuke Face. Oh, jeez. There you go. You see, exactly. That's why nothing should ever be put to a popular yeah. vote. <laughs> so you can, you can send your suggestions to Kremlin at RU or wherever they're military email addresses, but uh, yeah. don't be disappointed if it isn't something comical. Yeah. Alright, what else is going on in this crazy, crazy place? Crazy. Oh, crazy, well, crazy, uh, crazy place that we call I don't know. I'll, I'll put this one up to a vote uh, if anyone wants to talk about uh, China and Xi Jinping. Don't you mean China? The new China. Yeah, yeah. Th- sorry. I thought that's what I said. <laughs> no. Get right, Harrison. Um, the, uh, the Communist Party has, I think that they've actually passed it now because they, uh, I didn't see the confirmation of it, but they they had made recommendations for, what was it, a, a, an actual change in the Chinese constitution to um, eliminate term limits for basically the position of president. Mm. And because in China, the the Communist Party essentially um, chooses who will be the leader. And they're for the past, uh, I think it's only been for the past 40 years or so that there have been term limits. Um, I've seen conflicting information on that. I didn't check it. But basically, it's limited to two terms for now. But... Um, the party essentially has gotten rid of the two-term limit um, for the presidency, and Xi Jinping is in his second term. So that essentially opens him up for a third term and potentially, you know, um, to be leader for life. Emperor. And emperor. Emperor of the the Chinese communist uh, empire. Communist, yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's a great idea. Yeah. Trump does too, apparently. <laughs> Right, well, what did he say? <laughs> he said, well, he was quoted as saying something like, uh, oh, well, Xi Jinping's a great guy, you know, that sounds like a great idea. Great idea. Maybe we should try it sometime <laughs> in the future. <laughs> and freak, freaked out all the snowflakes. <laughs> yeah, well, but the, so they were freaked out by Trump's statement, of course, um, but they are also freaked out that it happened in China, um, you know, saying that uh, Xi is going to be a, uh, you know, dictator for life, and it's he's a tyrant. And um, how horrible is it that uh, you know the leader wouldn't have term limits? And yeah, how just, horrible! Like why? Hilarious. You find yeah. a good one? Why would you want to kick him out? Yeah. Let some other yeah. shyster in. 
You know, <laughs> yeah, the, good, mean, the good ones aren't, aren't like to a penny. You know, you can't just, you know, not just queuing up all the great leaders. There aren't, aren't, there's no, you know, the stockpile of them somewhere where you can just say, yeah, we're bored of this good one. Let's get another good one. You know, when you find a good one, has anybody looked at history? Have yeah. you looked at the list of American presidents? Pretty much everybody has something bad to say about every single American president. I'm not saying Trump's a good one, but the idea that no matter how good the president, he shouldn't be allowed to stay for any longer than four years or two or eight years maximum is completely ridiculous. Well, the, US, the U.S. used to know that. FDR mm-hmm. won four terms. Right. Um, and then he died one year into it, his fourth. And thereafter, I think they... They changed the constitution formally or informally agreed that the henceforth it would be two term limit. Um, yeah, it's par- it's part of the myth of Western liberal democracy that this is the yeah. system. It's the most efficient. It's the bestest. Right. It actually isn't. Looking at world events in the last couple of decades, it's demonstrably not the case. Every now and again, people get to choose someone else. That's the idea because the people know best. But this is another reason for the t- their, their fear of Putin that he's demonstrating how rare it is. Yeah. Um, and Westerners are going, you know, how many times do you see these comments under videos or stories about Putin? It's like, mm. yeah, I didn't know he could speak so well. It was the first time listening to him. Yeah, like, I can understand. It's not only that. I can understand why Russians like him. I want him for my president. Come over here, invade our country, and take over. Because mm. we don't have anyone who can just speak so honestly, plainly. Yeah, yeah. We have... Uh I have a call on the line here. Uh, uh, hi, is that Stephen? Hi, is that Stephen? Yes, it is. How y'all doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, I just wanted to make a comment. Um, I listened to some of uh, Putin's speech where he was announcing these uh, these new weapons and defense system. And um, wow, I just I just have to say about Putin, man, this this guy never ceases to amaze me. Mm-hmm. In um in a world with so many problems. You know, so much corruption, um, so many things seem to get worse. When you got somebody like Putin, it it just really it really gives me hope. And um, I know Putin's human; he's not perfect, but oh my God, it's it's such a it's such a pleasure to watch re- the to know that we humans still have the capacity to produce somebody of this caliber as a world leader. That, and that that gives me hope today. Right. And, I have to um, tell you, Stephen, what, let, let me just interject quickly. You know, I, I heard that speech on Thursday. I'd read about it, and it just made my day that, that he was mm-hmm. so eloquently uh, politically uh, making this statement uh, to the world, to the U.S. Uh, it, it literally made my day. Um it, it wasn't it wasn't posturing in a in a kind of an aggressive sense. Uh, it was articulate. He was also addressing his nation and and putting everything that he was doing into context. Uh, like Neil said uh, earlier in the show, um, you know the, the USSR when it was uh, when it was disbanded was really at a disadvantage for so long, and uh, and so Putin puts all of uh, these new developments into context of of U.S. aggression towards it, and and what he is forced to do, what he has been made compelled to do. Uh, so yeah, so go on, please. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, I th- I, I, I very rarely, um, you know, the older I get, I just, I just find um, just engaging people in 
in like say a conversation about Russia just because people whether they're college educated or not they're just so low information um they don't question and just do re- rudimentary uh research like like say for example there's this idea like oh Putin's one of the richest people in the world well any if you have common sense and critical thinking you go okay is that true and then you go on the internet you, you do some research and like okay well where's is there is there any evidence it's like the mm-hmm. um it's like the Russia gate thing it has become um i really thought it would go away and it's really frightening you know it just shows it just it's really kind of depressing to reflect mm-hmm. upon how the liberals have taken and ran this and it's an article of faith right now among the intellectual class of liberals in the United States that Russia interfered and even that what Mueller presented was just some Russians that were part of some organization that make their money through Facebook clicks uh, and yep. this and that it just the whole explanation for it is just totally in keeping with profit profit mo- seeking motivations mm-hmm. and um but then they they conflate it to the russians as though the russian government was behind this effort and then you look at the amount of money. it it's so ludicrous and these are college educated people that are the biggest backers of the democrats and the liberals and it's and i try to wrap my mind about what's going on here and my theory is that for so many decades the right wing and the republicans browbeat the democrats for being soft on communism weak on defense now it's the democrats opportunity to flip the script right on the right wing and the republicans and portray them as the one who are dupes to uh foreign powers and mm-hmm. so forth and i think that it's so wrong headed um but i i think it is definitely rooted in all of those decades of being red baited um on the part of the the democrats and now mm-hmm. they can posture as they're the ones really protecting the united states against these evil ruskies and so forth mm-hmm. and yeah, all, um they were also oh, terrified they were very they were terrified about the uh, about trump just the fact i mean there's an example of the, the power that had been concentrated into washington and the washington elite you know the establishment effectively for so long you're going back decades really or, or longer um that, that they ran the show basically and they just picked their their president from this pool of you know kind of Elite type people, basically, that was going to do their bidding, just going to do the from the one party, right? To one party, yeah, to play the play the role of president, basically, and then Trump to come in and and and, and win as this outsider that really rattled them, you know, and and they figured that well, how are we gonna how are we gonna control this guy? Well, let's let's set up a, a kind of sting operation in a certain sense, like even though it's fabricated, and let's let's smear him, let's keep him under pressure, basically, uh, and, and tarnish his whole presidency. With this, uh, these allegations that we can always bring up at any time that he's a Russian agent, you know, uh, and that way yeah. hamstring him and control him in some way because he obviously, I mean, just the fact that he wasn't a Washington insider was enough to spook the crap out of those people. Yes, and and the other de- de- depressing thing on on a macro level is that um, our from Lockheed Martin to Grumman to Boeing, all of these uh, General Electric, 
all of these myriad um, companies that that are um, getting money from the so-called defense budget, which is the largest in the that humanity has ever seen. Um, this is a way of um, you know the always having to have another you know a foreign potential adversary. You know this kind of rhetoric. It'll never it'll never ever end because this is a way for them to take tax dollars and funnel mm-hmm. it back into mm-hmm. the super super rich billionaire class so they own the they own the bulk of the stocks in these companies so they tax us so you know it's it just it's just another it's just a nasty way of just keeping that that wealth um pr- priming the economy to the super super wealthy and then um, the, the saddest thing about the Democrats um, is that, you know, there should be a party that that should be advocating for the the working class, you know, better programs for the poor. That's what mm-hmm. the Democrats, they, they should be focusing on that just as a function of of our dynamics of the two party system. But no, they just it's just constantly Russia, Russia. Russia, mm-hmm. um, they're so, yep. and the Democrats have been so bought out by the huge banks and corporations that you know it should be a no-brainer to to get people outraged that we're not raising the minimum wage, people don't have um, access, you know, to to quality health care that's affordable. That's what they should be running on. But all we get is Russia. Russia, mm-hmm. Russia, and it never freaking ends. And 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 then you can't go. Um, if I meet a liberal and they and they believe it, I don't even engage into any debate or conversation because there's behind it. There's no evidence that they can point to. They just imbibed all of these talking points to where it's just a matter of faith. And it's a useless endeavor to even try to debate or argue or anything. It's just totally useless. So they shut down. Um, this effectively works for Walmart. It works for Burger King and all of that. Mm. Because shouldn't we be outraged that that Walmart pays in Burger King and all these? They pay so little that their employees have to go to the government. So our tax dollars have to subsidize their profits and mm-hmm. that should be a huge subject of conversation and outrage in our country but no all we get to talk about is russia russia and then we can point at the what what is the latest kind of stupid thing that trump has said you know and it just it just uh, it just goes on and on but then getting back to putin you just watch how the guy operates and what he's done in Syria when he came out on the side of international law and he recognized that Syria was kind of a linchpin that if, if there wasn't a stand taken in Syria, then Iran would be next. Um, Mm -hmm. Then uh, this terrorism, this kind of jihad terrorism would be unleashed closer to Russia and inside of Russia Mm -hmm. because their ultimate goal is to, get Russia divided, have these little civil wars go on to where even Russia, right, as it constituted right now geographically, 
would be divided up even more. So then, you know, the right. United States, yeah, just, that, it's just. It's not, and it wasn't only that. It's like, I mean, America going into the Middle East and destroying countries, that's Russia's backyard. You know, Russia has mm-hmm. a lot of uh, a lot of trade with Middle Eastern countries, or at least it did. You, you go in and you destroy the country, overrun it with jihadi, your proxy forces, whatever, you know, wreck the place, destroy the power infrastructure, destroy the infrastructure in general. Well, there's no more trade going on. You know, very little trade. You can't get in. It's a war zone. And that's a direct economic impact on Russia. You know, Russia, if, if Iran was destroyed <clears throat> or invaded and overthrown and you had some client regime, but look what happened to Libya. It's still in ruins, you know. I mean, there's not many people doing business with Libya anymore, you know. Uh, there certainly yeah. wasn't for the past few years. And these are all countries in Russia that are big trading partners with Russia. And you go in and you wreck them all. It's like someone coming into your neighborhood and, and you do business with your neighbors and they go and blow up all their houses. Well, how, yeah. how, how are you, you going to sell your products to anymore? And, and you, know what's, you know what's so disgusting about the subject of Syria? I've made a few Facebook friends that are Syrian people. But um, as I've watched how Libya played out, what happened to democracy now? It used to be the preeminent anti-war, pro-left, pro-worker um, program that was on five days a week. You know, Amy, I, I sent money one time to them. And, um, and, and, and what, after, when Obama got elected, they have become like neocons mm-hmm. pre- still presenting themselves as a progressive face, but they give you no information on what's going on in Syria, or they give it such distorted information mm-hmm. that you're supposed to cheer on the jihadists, right? Because because Assad is bombing his own people. Yeah. But the you you if you listen to any of the media from Fox to MSNBC, you get no context that the reason uh, uh, the Syrian army is is attacking right now Ghouta. And then Idlib is because these terrorists have infested neighborhoods. Uh-huh. They built tunnels. So they're basically holding the population hostage. Mm-hmm. And from that area, they're, they're lobbing bombs and killing children and in, in civilians in Damascus. Right. You don't, you just you... don't get that explanation. And, from you know, democracy now. You know, and, and this relates to when you talk about liberals, as you, as you call them, and people that just don't think they, you know, you don't even engage with them. That's because people, those people, for some reason, there's certain types of people, but I think a lot of Americans in general, via, and largely via the media, have been, have been disencouraged, let's say, for years, or trained not to think. And the way they've been trained not to think and just want to, want to like it hurts their brains to think, uh, or to look at the complexities of a situation and realize its nuances. Took, uh, you know, I can't, I can't do that. I just give me the simplistic, feel-good slogan, and that's what the media has been doing to Americans for, and, and, and Western Europe to a large extent as well for for decades. You know, feeding them these simplistic, overly simplistic <clears throat> uh, perspectives on things which don't require any thinking. You know, if you imagine if the media said, "Well, here's what's going on in Syria," and then give one side and then say, "But here's the other side," and present that to the public. And then force the public to read that and go, hmm, yeah, it's a bit more complex than, than you might think at first, you know. There's no simple solution to that. And, and, and that process of forcing people to do that actually grows, you know, their brains basically and encourages thinking and deepens their thinking about things. But apparently uh, the elite in the U.S. do not want a population and probably oh, they, elites, they, in they, most places they, don't want people who can think. 
they absolutely don't want it. And um, you could argue that any elite in anywhere in the world, right. you know, doesn't want that. But I'll, uh, something interesting in the case of Russia, because of Russia's history of being invaded for centuries, um, the two big ones were like when Napoleon tried to invade and then the Germans, mm-hmm. they suffered as a people. They suffered such incredible hardship, um, you know, almost being destroyed several times that the people just have a certain the propaganda functions right. in every society. But it just doesn't function in the same way right. um, in Russia as it does here. Right. But once, um, once bitten, twice shy type of thing and having gone through those trials, people are almost genetically, you know, or intuitively, they know that, you know, this is this isn't as simple as it's being presented. And they, they call bullshit on things a lot more, I think, than, yes. than people people who haven't well, had that experience of suffering and, you know, what, how, how things can go wrong when you make the wrong when you when you just go with the flow or. Uh, you know, the same could be true of German people today, you know, the experience in, in Nazi Germany or European peoples in general of the First and Second World War where, you know, in, in Western Europe and in Eastern Europe and other, and other countries as well who experienced that, that's still within living memory of some people. So it's like people have a, a, a kind of an understanding, at least in living memory of, you know, don't go with the with the simplistic sloganeering and stuff, you know, it's like because it leads to bad things for, for you, you know. Your country mm-hmm. can be embroiled in, in conflict. You can lose your home and lose your family members over this, so it's not something to be taken lightly. Yeah. But Americans have been, like, protected from that, you know, coddled and uh, and never experienced that. So they're free to go, yeah, the world's just, you know, all about freedom and democracy and apple pie and just make it happen and it all works and it's always great. Never, nothing bad ever happens to anybody, but not us anyway. So, <laughs> Yeah, and, um, you know, I'm just, I, 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 I reserve a lot of my ire for the, the liberal progressives because really it's their, it's their historical and structural responsibility to pay attention to real issues right. and to mobilize people uh, democratically to try to get people that are poor, organ- look, recognize problems and organize because, you know, the rich aren't going to do that for the poor. And um, so they've totally ceded that responsibility. Now, on the part of the right wing in the United States um, about Syria, um, I, I think it, I find it equally disgusting that um, – they're supposed to be so Christian, yet they don't they don't even research what's happening in Syria, how Christians are a target of these jihadis also. Wow. So, you know, across the board here, it's it's pretty, pretty sad. Pretty bad, but yeah. I think that, you know, just just my last comment, I'm going to let you all go. A, a great, great show, by the way. Um, I think that Russia's uh, and Putin are very, very intelligent because when you look, when you think about Syria and you think about Iran and Iraq and the whole region and how this is going to play out in the future, um, the United States doesn't help rebuild Iraq, for example. And so everything, there's just no way that the United States is going to be able to stabilize and, and, and present anything that's viable or attractive to the population of the Middle East over the long term. And as we've talked about before, it really seems that, that, that the, in a very cynical way that the whole goal is just to continue to create chaos so that way China and Russia mm-hmm. can't develop, you know, streams mm-hmm. of trade 
instability. Mm-hmm. So they're so bad. They're so stupid and bad and drunk with their own arrogance and power that they're the superpower right now right. that they they have no ideas. So the game plan, I think, on the part of Russia and China is like, look, let's just coast. Let's don't do anything that's going to cause World War Three. Um, the United States is making such bad decisions that things are going to go our way in a more multipolar way just by the force of gravity, inertia, and time. So mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's their ultimate calculation. But, hey, yeah. Yeah, thanks a lot for letting me comment, and you guys have a nice weekend. You Bye-bye. too, Stephen. Thanks, thanks Stephen. Bye. See you. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah, the one, one thing I noticed as well was that this whole situation, people don't realize it's growing, but uh, after Russia's intervention in the Middle East and stuff uh, over the past couple of years and the changing situation there is that uh, Iran, you know, the U.S. is uh, supposedly, we're staying in Syria to get those Iranians. That's their main object. ISIS, I mean, ISIS as well. Yeah, ISIS, we're going to get them, bad guys. But Iran is, we can't deny it, Iran is a problem. And um, it's funny today, the Iranians have become so emboldened, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, this whole, uh, you know, the uh, the agreement, uh, what do you call it, uh, the nu- nuclear agreement, basically. Yeah. Um, with Iran, um, they I think I read it somewhere. They 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 came out and said um, to America that you know because there's some question about what Iran was doing, and Iran basically has asserted its right at this point more or less to make to develop nuclear weapons. And the Americans said something about it, and the Iranians felt. <laughs> bold enough to respond by saying uh, we'll not make any nukes if you destroy all of yours. So, I mean, that's, I mean, you wouldn't have heard that. You didn't hear that over the past, you know, that's the first time you've heard that. And um, and they've also said, they basically told France, you know, Macron is stepping up, his little weedy Macron is stepping up and saying, oh, there's going to be problems, uh, Iran, if you kind of don't get back on board with this agreement and stuff and Iran's like eh, I'm not even sure about this agreement anymore you know and 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 said it was none of your business said to France none of your business Macron take your big French nose out of this uh, it's not wanted you know so they really they're giving this they're, they're, they're giving off this impression of the, the, these sound bites that are really saying you know actually you know we don't really care about any of your crap anymore mm-hmm. uh, we're Iran we'll do whatever we want screw you yeah there, there was a recent uh Another article that came out, I think we published it on SOT, and basically uh, one minister of the Iranian government said to like a Iranian general, uh, here, here's some evidence of uh, the U.S. supporting al-Qaeda. Go fish slap the U.S. with this and confront right. them. Not al-Qaeda, um, ISIS, yeah. I, I think it was al-Qaeda, but uh, I'm not sure. It was one of those. Daesh, he said. Daesh. As bad as can get, yeah. Al-Qaeda is one thing, but, you know, hanging out with the, with the head choppers in there. Although Al-Qaeda is also, but people have forgotten about the fact that Al-Qaeda were the ones who attacked us in 9-11. You know, America is allowed to collaborate with them these days, you know. Memories are a bit of a fickle thing, you know, short term. 15, 17, what is it, 17 years? Come on. People can change in 17 years. Yeah, okay, aren't so bad anymore. And, they're, you know, they're our friends now. And, you know, we've forgiven them for 9-11. You don't hear much about 9-11 anymore. So, you know, it's okay to hang out with Al-Qaeda now and uh, 
give them some weapons. But Daesh, I mean, that's pretty recent. You know, they're the ones who are throwing you know, gay people off buildings and um, and burning people alive and stuff, you know. But maybe that's kind of going down the memory hole as well, you know. So soon it'll be like we have U.S. military partnering with Daesh to confront the Russians. <laughs> I the would well, that's what you mentioned earlier. This is the coming international coalition of the willing. You said the end result of the U.S. behavior is that it becomes a giant suicide bomber. Mm-hmm. So yes, an explicit alliance. Actually, somebody said that. Um, former Pentagon strategist slash talking head now on CNN or Fox. Maybe it was Friedman in the New York Times. It was someone, a fairly big name in the U.S. He said after the Russians went into Syria, explicitly said we ought to ally with ISIS. I think I think there's some statement like that. Mm. Let's yeah. use them. They don't care. John Kerry said that they were using. We've got to them. use them. He said that. So, but he wasn't making a public no, actual logical case them. for we're it. Let them do their thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right, Neil. I think that was Thomas Friedman of the New York Times who writes for the op-ed, who's a big Zionist and uh, who just wrote that kind of nutbag analysis of, of the Syria situation. And um, Well, in his mind, he saw it logically. He's like, Russia's an enemy. ISIS. Assad is an enemy. Let's just use them against mm-hmm. Russia. Right. The enemy of it, enemy. There's no, yeah, there's no, it, it's, it's consistent in his head. But they, they, these people don't understand that you can you, you can prime people with you know ISIS head choppers for years and make them out to be you know the ultimate Satan. Mm-hmm. But you can't then just just suddenly switch it. Yeah, you can. Well, you can, but <laughs> there, there are not going to be no unintended consequences of it, and one of them being the rise of Trump. Yeah, because the lies they started taking effect indirectly. I'm not saying yeah. that U.S. voters went, we disagreed with our policy in Syria, ergo we're voting Trump. It's indirect. Mm. But they know they're being lied to. It's a kind of, if they've been primed over and over at an emotional level, they respond at an emotional level. Yeah, emotional, because they're not thinking. <clears throat> yeah. Well. Before we go, today the Italian elections are taking place. Yeah. Mm. Bunga bunga. <laughs> Bunga Bunga may be back. President Bunga Bunga. It's, they haven't got any actual exit polls, but the latest of the... I don't know. Italian polls are probably rigged too, but it's supposedly going to be a hung, hung parliament with an equal split between three of the big parties, one of them being Berlusconi's right-wing coalition. In Bunga Bunga... Berlusconi, I can't so, believe so. he's back. <laughs> That's how bad things are. <laughs> yeah, I think it was, he, <laughs> he's a good guy. Come back. He was stu- he was stuffed. Uh, he died and he was stuffed several years ago. He was <laughs> painted up. And he's on wheels, basically. <laughs> it works, you know. He's just a figurehead anyway, you know. <coughs> Program a few few sound bites into him. It's all funny, yeah. What are you going to do but laugh? He's Putin's friend. He's Putin's buddy, yeah. He, Putin. He's a... He, oh, you know what? He's a Russian bot. He's a Russian robot. Uh, an actual bot. Putin, when they were, you know, having a party on a yacht sometime, I think Putin switched him out with a Russian bot. Yeah. That's why he looks kind of funny these days. Yeah. I knew it. I knew it. So that's what's going on in the world. 
this past week. Folks, more or less, obviously there's other stuff going on as well. We had some crazy winter weather hit Europe, mostly in the north and east. And a bit of crazy weather across the U.S. east coast as well, storms. Blowing things around. The odd tornado or something similar to it. But uh, yeah, hopefully it's all over and we're still going to get a spring and a summer. We like summer, especially after several months of winter. Um, but we'll see. Uh, we'll keep our eyes in the skies and all that business. Because uh, you never know what you're going to spot. So, we're going to leave it there. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. We'll be back next week with a fancy show, a video maybe. Until then, have a good one. Oh, see you next week. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.